Hello again to the second part of this episode of ESIP's Global Economy Podcast with Aurelien Pourduis on competition and competition policy. In the first part of this episode, we talked about principles of competition policy and the linkage between competition and innovation. Now we want to focus on current affairs and talk about the recent efforts of policymakers to regulate digital companies, especially large online platforms. And we want to discuss the EU's recently proposed Digital Markets Act. And let's look at Europe. Uh, mm-hmm. In addition to what's often called in expert lingo ex post competition policy enforcement, mm-hmm. there are now new proposals for new legal tools to regulate what exactly large digital companies do. And some of these proposals may soon become a reality, not only in the EU, but also in the US. There are a few proposals that are similar to, for example, the Digital Markets Act in the EU. And the Digital Markets Act, the DMA, when you look at it, it's full of conflicting objectives, very vague descriptions of concepts, and also conflicting concepts of uh, fairness, for example, mm-hmm. uh, contestability, which are which seem to be put at the center, while innovation and consumer protection seem to enjoy a much lower priority, uh, which can be expected based also on what you just said. So fairness, for example, is referred to 88 times in the DMA proposal. Mm-hmm. Contestability is mentioned 60 times. Innovation and consumers each referred to 16 times. Mm-hmm. But none of these terms is defined clearly once. Yeah. None of these terms. And on top of this, the type of contact that the EU, the European Commission in particular, wants to regulate, so-called core platform services, are also very poorly defined. So if I were a manager, let's say, at Amazon or Facebook or whatever digital platform, I would not really know what to do. And right. I may choose to err on the side of caution, basically to, ex- to avoid extreme penalty payments, which are yeah. also part of the proposal. And that would basically imply to stop certain practices in the EU, stop certain projects in the EU, stop innovating. Uh, how do you feel about this right. proposed DMA and, and also perhaps similar approaches that are currently being debated in the US? Very interesting question. I think I want to make a fundamental point here. Let's start with Europe. Uh, so Europe has a commercial surplus with the US in almost in almost every industry, the car industry, insurance, banks, mm. pharmaceuticals, energy, but not in the digital industry. There's a complete lack of uh, tech leadership in Europe as opposed to, to the US. And of course, the, the, the US tech leadership is, uh, is clear and obvious. And, and that's where the US has some uh, surplus as uh, compared to, to, to Europe. And then Europe because of this huge commercial deficit and because of this lack of tech leadership, wants to regulate and wants to regulate uh, very harshly uh, these U.S. Uh, tech platforms because there's a clear target of U.S. tech platforms. Even uh, Commissioner Vestager uh, clearly said that uh, rather than the um, Digital Market Act as a regulation, they envisaged first to have a number of individual decisions against those companies. You know, like decisions for Apple, decisions for Microsoft, decisions for mm. Google, and didn't have, they didn't want that because it just seemed too overtly protectionist. So they just disguised a digital market act that can look like less protectionist. So what's the uh, digital uh, market act? I think if you, why do we have the digital market act first? The 
very premise, the very objective of the Digital Market Act, it can perhaps surprise our, our listeners. Well, it's not even fairness. It's not even consistability. It's to prevent the fragmentation of the internal market on digital markets. So the, the rational, the legal basis for the Digital Market Act is the completion of digital single market together with the Digital uh, Services Act. And the main point is to avoid the fragmentation of the internal market. What does it mean? Well, basically, and I think very legitimately, the European Commission just doesn't want to have 27 national regulations of digital markets. They say, well, we need one regulation at the European level. And that makes total sense. I mean, what Europe needs is scale. Europeans clearly suffer from the lack of scale, and the lack of, lack of scale is mainly due to regulatory barriers across country. We don't have a digital single market, and we needed one. So what we have to, to have is a removal of all national regulatory barriers so that tech companies in Europe can scale up much more efficiently and much more quickly. That's one thing. So that's the point of the Digital Market Act, to remove and to prevent fragmentation of the digital single market with one Europe-wide regulation. Question is, does the digital single market, well, fulfill its objectives of uh, non-fragmentation uh, of digital single market? Well, the answer is no. And it doesn't even care of achieving that, uh, that objective. Let me tell you why. So, in, in, in press conference, uh, Commissioner Vestager said that we want to have this, this European regulation in order to avoid national fragmentation. And then she said, well, member states won't be able to further enact national regulations and, 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 and so on and so on, because otherwise it will go against the national uh, fragmentation of uh, the digital single market. But then we see that because of a number of pressure by member states, Germany, France, but also uh, Italy, we see that they're going to let member states to design even more stringent regulations, obligations, prohibitions at the, at the national level. What this means is that not only you have one digital uh, regulation, uh, one regulation at the European level, but basically you will have 27 plus one regulation, so mean 28 regulation in Europe. Mm. One question is, does it help? Uh, European companies to scale up and to and to and, and to thrive and to innovate i don 't think so, so we can talk about the digital market act and the obligations and the prohibitions uh, uh, that this act creates and how these obligations and prohibitions will harm consumers but also small businesses in Europe, but also the fundamental point is that the digital market act doesn 't even try to achieve the objectives. It's led it uh, for itself. So Europe won't be a leader technologically thanks to the Digital Market Act. Quite the contrary, European consumers and European app developers, European small tech entrepreneurs would be harmed as they operate on the digital ecosystems that would be very much tightly regulated in Europe. I think... There's no benefit of the Digital Market Act because it doesn't, uh, it, it doesn't address the problem of a fragmentation of the digital single market. And there are a lot of uh, drawbacks. There's a lot of cost and harms to be generated by the Digital Single Market Act. 
Okay, so Orien, uh, just to get this right, you're saying that the digital market tech uh, that's been proposed by the European Commission is not a good idea, given that we saw many issues in competition investigations in two large digital companies. There might be some issues, uh, I'm not so sure. Yeah. At least there are. there is the perception that someone should go off certain types of abusive or anti-competitive behavior of large digital companies. So if the DMA is not a good tool to address these concerns or perception, what could policymakers, particularly those in the EU or in individual EU member states, do to address these issues, if there are issues, but at the same time also promote competition and innovation, not only in the short term, as you right. mentioned, but also in the longer term. Yes, I think that's right. The Digital Market Act is a, is a very uh, negative piece of legislation that will harm consumers and, 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 and even European uh, businesses. Uh, and it's a very precautionary piece of legislation. Let me tell you just in one second. Competition law traditionally has been enforced ex post, uh, meaning that once the harm takes place, mm -hmm. there's a liability system so that you just prosecute the companies and the companies is is um, is fined or sanctioned or broken up or uh, whatever uh, in order to address this harm. Uh, but there is a real debate about in court or in the agencies about the reasonableness, how to what extent that particular uh, practice is pro-competitive or anti-competitive. There's a real discussion because it's, it's definitely not a clear-cut uh, answer. Well, the Digital Market Act just scrapped this century-old approach in order to regulate ex-ante, mm -hmm. meaning that even if there is no harm, even before any harm may arise, some practices and some very common business practices that are widely spread in the economy are just prohibited irrespectively of their merits, irrespectively of the fact that they are pro-consumers or pro-innovation. They are prohibited only because they are carried out by targeted companies. So, for example, everybody goes to the supermarket and can see in the supermarket that uh, the supermarket can also sell its own product uh, uh, next to a third-party seller's product, right? So um, that is some sort of self-preferencing uh, practice that is very common in the in the business world. Mm. And, and this practice, which can also take place online, just for example, a seminal case is Amazon also selling its own product as part of Amazon Basics uh, because they are cheaper and the consumers like them. Well, this kind of practice would be prohibited uh, with the Digital Market Act and, and, and without clear uh, rational other than just prohibiting it because that big company is the, is the target of the regulators, not because these practices harm consumers. And I think that's a very uh, problematic aspect. So rather than just shifting the enforcement of competition law from exposed judicial enforcement to a more ex-ante approach, which very much resemble the precautionary principle, well, you just preemptively 
lay down some rules of illegality, even though, I mean, what may ensure uh, would be innovation and, and competition. Uh, I think we need to stay away from this precautionary approach and to make sure that we have a dynamic view of competition where innovation takes place, disruption takes place, and then at the margin, if there are some anti-competitive conduct, they need to be better prosecuted, they need to be better tackled, but within the current institutional framework, we don't have to change the institutional framework in order to create an innovative economy. Uh, the U.S. antitrust laws are a century old. They kept this institutional framework, and within that framework, they managed to have a huge booming innovative economy. Uh, so you don't need to change the institutional framework in order to have innovation and therefore, because innovation leads to competition, to have a competitive uh, economy. So that's the, the first point, is to this, uh, this, this change of the institutional framework from an exposed enforcement to an ex-ante precautionary approach is, I think, wrong-headed mm. uh, because we just changed the institutions where we should change the, uh, the mindset. Mm. Um, and then, second of all, we, we need to change the mindset. That's the second point. So this, the mindset needs to be focused on dynamic competition, on an evolutionary perspective where the long-term objective of the entrepreneurs are better considered by the enforcers who regrettably uh, focus on, on the short term. And, and in order to have that, we need to understand that we need to bolster innovation capabilities. So we can also almost force companies to spend in terms of research and development to be disruptive. And, and as long as they spend on research and development, as long as they are disruptive, as long as they, they never are entrenched in some market positions, but always open to new technologies mm. and, and so on and so forth, then their business strategies, their pricing strategies shouldn't be a problem because the the way for them to innovate is the way for them to compete against other incumbents. Uh, but unfortunately, we don't have this view. So we need to take a very uh, dynamic approach to antitrust where basically, first, property rights are respected. And when I say property rights, intellectual property rights, uh, too often we see patents mm. or trade secrets as an instance of monopolistic power. I mean, patent is a monopoly because it's precisely the right to exclude, right, on ideas and, and so on. So if we weaken the intellectual property framework for the sake of creating, creating a greater competition or fairer uh, uh, competition, then we undermine the very basis for innovation, which themselves are the basis for competition. I think we need to better protect intellectual property, property rights. We need to scale. So fragmentation of the digital uh, single market is wrong. Mm. The ability for member states to adopt further national regulations can only worsen mm. this fragmentation, uh, which is already uh, too high. So we need scale. We need intellectual property rights, and we need a lot of capital. Uh, we need a lot of human capital through education, through training, through, and also financial capital. We don't have a strong enough uh, stock market uh, in, in, in Europe, but also we don't have venture capitalists, as you can find in Silicon Valley. So, I mean, 
Does the Digital Market Act try to solve any of those problems? Not at all. The European Commission is not concerned about scaling up European companies or building up the next digital uh, revolution in Europe. I think they're more concerned about just harming a handful of uh, U.S. companies because that brings a lot of popularity in the in the European uh, journalism and European uh, newspapers. We know uh, how to build up the innovation capabilities of Europe, mm-hmm. and and we should really uh, endorse those uh, key uh, factors because, again, strengthening the innovation capabilities of European uh, businesses can only lead to greater innovation, which itself is a way for companies to compete in the global competition. So that is uh, the advice I will will make to uh, enforcers. Not focus on the Digital Market Act, which is a wrong-headed piece of legislation, but focus on building up the innovation capabilities of Europe, uh, which haven't been addressed until now. Mm, okay. Yeah. Thanks for thoughtful set of recommendations. Thanks for outlining all of these issues with the DMA, issues that are fa- yeah. fairly obvious if you think about them. But at the same time, not to not really enter the political debate, I think the political appetite uh, in Europe, at least, to squeeze U.S. technology companies. Uh, Trump's facts and informed expert opinion. At the Mm -hmm. same time, to conclude this podcast with a positive outlook, I hope that we will come to see this change in mindset that you call for Mm -hmm. uh, and get rid of this political myopia, the Mm anti-Trump populism, and I think this is also uh, what what you mean by this term that we currently see in Europe and and elsewhere in the world with regard to how to approach very successful companies that work for, for innovation and for consumer citizens today. Yes, yeah. and, and just to cut you, if Europe has large tech companies, then you'll see that suddenly European policymakers will describe them not as bad platforms, mm-hmm. but will consider them as champions, you know, these national champions or European mm-hmm. champions. Okay. So... Bigness is good when it's local and bigness is bad when it's foreign. So let's Europeans build these local large companies that are innovative, uh, competitive. And then there may be some sense of proudness in, in Europe about these big new tech champions. And that's the way out, not to harm others as a way to compete, but to precisely build up your own capabilities as a way to compete. Yeah, and let's hope all of them will be set up in Paris or Berlin, and then we are all good for the next 30 years of EU competition regulation. Okay, very well, Aurelian. Many thanks for uh, your time and um, your thoughtful input. I very much enjoyed the conversation with you, and I trust our listeners did as well. So thank you very much indeed.